would take your Bibles and turn to John 15. After this week, we have two more weeks in this series uh, looking at the I Am statements of Jesus. And next week, we're going to look particularly at uh, Him being the only way. So if you have ever been in a discussion with somebody in your family or uh, with friends about that, about the exclusive claim of Christ, um, see if you can get them here next week, and we're, we're going to uh, look at that in terms of how do we handle that, um, that truth, that claim that he gives us about being uh, the, only, the only way to salvation. It's an important claim. Uh, it's important we understand how to, uh, how to cope with that. In John 15, Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch of mine that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you're clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a a branch and, and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, will you teach us this day from your word, your words that you spoke so long ago, but you saw fit to have them preserved for us. And so will you teach us, will you apply your word to our lives? We look to you for this. In the precious name of Jesus, amen. I read this week about uh, the process that a vintner goes through. That would be someone who has a a vineyard growing grapes uh, with uh, the plan to uh, then make wine out of those grapes. It's a process. The first year, typically, they would uh, plant shoots of vines rather than seeds because uh, they have a, a better opportunity to survive if that's the case, they'll be healthier, they'll be the strongest vines. At the end of the first growing season, 
They cut them back. Second year, they let the vines continue to grow. Cut them back again. The third year, the vines continue to grow and if things are going well, they will see the first viable clusters of grapes. The best vintners, as I read it at least, will just leave them there on the vine. And it's not until the the fourth year that they will then have their first harvest. After that, if they're making wine, they will begin to make the wine. It will probably be the the seventh or the eighth year before they're able to taste the fruits of their work and their labors and begin to enjoy that harvest. They say in the vineyards, for instance, out in California, it may be 17, 18 years before they begin to make a profit off of all of the work of all of those years. It's a long-term process. Now, at least for me, I wasn't that familiar with that. I've never tried to grow grapes and, and so on. But in Jesus' day, they would have been more familiar with the fact that it was a process that it took a good bit of work, that you had to attend to them if you were ever going to enjoy the fruit. And so he used this as a parable, as an illustration of of what? Of salvation, of his relationship, something that the people would grasp onto and begin to understand. Now, they had other background as well. They would understand it was a process. But those who were Jews would look back to the fact that uh, vineyards and uh, vines were illustrations that were used through the Old Testament periodically. And usually it was talking about God's people. Let me give you three examples, and I'm not going to read all these to you, but uh, you can check them out later if you wish. In Psalm 80, it talks about God planting a vine, verses 8 through 16. And he's talking about his people, Israel, and basically emphasizing that uh, uh, he did everything to make it thrive but it was not thriving. In other words, he had done all that which is necessary, but they were not producing that which they were made to produce. And then there's a plea for restoration. We read in Jeremiah 2, verse 21. I will read this one to you. It says, Yet I planted you a choice vine, again, talking about his people, Israel, I planted you a choice vine, holy of pure seed. How then have you turned degenerate and become a wild vine? 
He's talking about their rebellion, their rejection of, of that tender care that he was giving to them. And then we read over in Ezekiel 15. Uh, it's a short chapter, but it's all about uh, uh, the vines, and he basically says there's two uses for vines. Vines are good either for fruit or for fuel. If they are not bearing fruit, then they might as well be burned up. And so he gives this, this contrast. And all of that is a background to the message that Jesus gives. There's numerous other passages, but uh, they all serve as a background that God was using the vine to teach how Israel had become unfruitful. And so with that as the background, then we see his claim, I am the true vine. So while it had been talking about his people, the people of Israel, how they had turned away, then Jesus redefines it. And as you you notice uh, on most of the I am statements, he, he makes it an absolute. He's not just a vine. He is the true vine. He's the fulfillment of the vine. Now we need to clarify the phrase that comes next because it says that the father is the, uh, my father is the vine dresser. This is in verse 1 of uh, John 15. Because that brings up the question, if he's the, the vine dresser, what's the vine dresser uh, do? And if Jesus is the vine and Father's the vine dresser, well, the vine dresser uh, trims away at the, the vine, prunes it, gets rid of dead wood and, and issues and problems and, and sins and things like that. Well, that doesn't make sense if you're applying that to Jesus, what he's talking about here. And here's the clarification Jesus didn't need to be trimmed of dead wood or cleansed from sin. It's about us. We who are joined to Christ by faith, joined to that vine, then it says, look, the Father is going to be attending to you. Is going to be dealing with you, caring for you, but also doing that which the good vine dresser does for the vine. And we're going to see that in, in just a moment. What, what's it mean to us? Well, I've shared with you that I, I think there's at least four kinds of people. And I would say in this room, there are four kinds of people. You've got those that are saved and know it. You've got those are, that are unsaved, and they know it. Don't make any pretense. And then you've got those that are saved and don't necessarily know it. And, and by that, what I mean is they, they question, they doubt, they think, oh, I'm lost my salvation or this or whatever, but they're really saved. And then there's another category. And that's those that are unsaved and don't know it. Don't recognize it. They may think otherwise. 
And that may be the most dangerous of the categories of all. One of the challenges for people who go to church is that sometimes it's hard to know just where we stand with Christ. In other words, there are are people that go to church, some who've gone all of their life, some who've been active in church or sometimes active and sometimes not, that uh, would call themselves Christians. But that's it. And I, I have to say this, that just because one goes to church and is active in a church, maybe even is a member of a church, nowhere in the Scripture does it say you should take your confidence from that. Or that, that that's the big deal. It's important. It's, it's obedience. But that's not what determines whether or not you really are a Christian. And so, for some, that just confuses the issue even more, where they would say, okay, well, you know, how am I supposed to know then? You told me there's people that, that are unsaved and they think they're saved. What if I'm one of those? Or I've been, I've been in the church, but what if I'm one of those you're describing that, that doesn't really know Christ? How can I know? Well, I'm going to give you some ways from this passage that you can know, that you can determine, that you can evaluate. Jesus addresses that. He talks about bearing fruit. Now, who doesn't bear fruit? That's the the first question. And this will help you. If, uh, if you happen to be one of those, you may say, well, I don't, I don't bear any fruit. And we're going to talk about what the fruit is in a moment. But you may say, I have no idea. I don't, you know, there's, I, I think I'm a Christian, but it has no effect on my life. Well, Jesus basically says here that those that don't bear fruit are those that are not connected to Christ. You're not bearing fruit. You don't know Christ. He says in verse 2, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And then verse 6, he says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. In other words, there are those who appear to be connected to Christ who are not really connected. I'm not trying to scare people. I'm not trying to scare you out of your faith or anything like that. But I think this is the the kind of person that we see um, mentioned in Hebrews 6. Let me read to you that that passage. Uh, Hebrews 6, beginning with verse 4, it says, It's impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God 
and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. Now, that passage is not about someone who's, who is really a Christian losing his salvation. It's about those that I described earlier. Now, look carefully or listen carefully to the kinds of things it says about this person. It says those who have uh, once been enlightened. In other words, they, uh, my understanding of this passage is they understand the gospel. Doesn't mean they necessarily hold to it, but they, they get it. They know um, it's about trusting Christ. Those who've tasted the heavenly gift, notice it says tasted, not swallowed or digested or anything else. In other words, they've seen the outward benefits, have shared in the Holy Spirit, have uh, tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the ages to come. Here are people who uh, maybe have been around the church enough to have seen God working, to have seen God doing miraculous things. They've tasted it. They get it. They understand it. But it's never become a part of them. And that's who I think Jesus is talking about as well. This person could be a, a church member, a Sunday school teacher, an elder or deacon. This could be a pastor. I've known pastors who have been ordained and who have been in the pulpit and who have preached the Word of God and then at some later point realized they didn't even know Christ when they were doing that. That they were doing all the outward things, but it had not yet come into their heart. They were never connected to the vine. Now that's a scary place to be. And some get scared when you begin to talk that way because, you know, and my goal is not to cause you all to question your own salvation, you who really know Christ. But I have a bigger goal in my ministry, and that's this. I know that not everybody who walks through the doors of churches where I minister will come to Christ. But I don't want anyone to be so comfortable in the pew of any church where I am preaching that if they don't really know Christ, they don't recognize that. That's one of my goals in ministry. I don't, I don't want people to be the unsaved and not know it. So it can be a scary place. So what's the answer? Well, you, again, you ask that question, am I bearing fruit? Well, who does bear fruit? <coughs> those who are connected. Those who are abiding. Look at the verse 4. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. So in other words, there's going to be some that are, look like they're, they're connected to the vine, but they aren't really but then there are those that are, are really connected and they, they're abiding, they are so connected. Um, 
the Greek lexicon says abiding is an inward, enduring, personal communion. Inward, enduring, personal communion. In other words, not just an outward connection. He says in verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. You know, it's, it's like a, a marriage in one sense where you can go through a, a, a wedding ceremony. You can have your uh, marriage certificate, marriage license. But that's not it when it comes to marriage. You know, that's, that's the outward things. But it takes real communion, ongoing communion with one another. It's more than an outward union. It is a communion with each other. And that's what it must be with Christ as well. He says this in verse 8, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. In other words, it's that, it's that fruit. You know, if you're, if you're saying, well, how do I know if I'm saved or not? Well, he said it's that fruit that proves whether you're saved. That's not what, what brings you into relationship with Christ, ever. It's not about your works. But your works and your fruit prove that you're actually connected to the vine. Because he says, without being connected to me, you can't do anything. You can't produce real, genuine fruit. You might even produce some things that look good, but it's not real, genuine fruit. Now, there's an important note here. And this, if, if you think it, it's hard so far, here's where it gets hard for you who really are connected. Verse 2. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. He prunes so that it, the branch, may bear more fruit. You're going to be pruned. And that's, I'm sorry to tell you, but that's the case. Now, you already knew that if you've been a Christian for any length of time. You already knew there's going to be trials, there's going to be difficulties. But, but what we've got to uh, camp on is, look, there's a reason for it. It's not because he likes the pain we go through. It's so that we can bear more fruit. It's that long-term approach to the vintner's work that God works in us. You may be saying, why, why am I not more fruitful? Why does pruning hurt so much? Why does cultivating a healthy crop take so long? Those are all good questions, but that's the nature of the process. That's why he used, he used this as an illustration and he is patient with us, more patient than we are with ourselves. As we fulfill our callings, 
we need to recognize that our fruitfulness isn't going to come overnight. And more often than not, it's going to come through the pain of pruning. But understand, and here's, here's the encouragement, it's to make us more fruitful. It's not just so we will experience more pain or so we won't like this life or anything like that. It's because it's what's best for us. You know, those poor grapes wouldn't understand it early on. Why are you pruning me? <laughs> and yet the long-term picture is we can't cut this short. We've got to do it in its time. Listen to the purpose of the process of pruning from God's perspective. Hebrews 12, he says, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. He says, look, it's, it's the loving thing to do. Don't despise it. When you're going through a pruning, don't despise it. It's proof that you are His and He loves you. And ultimately, though, you may not be able to see it. Ultimately, it's what's best for you. If God knows what He's doing, it's what's best for you. James 1, verse 2, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. That's the purpose of it. Test your faith. It proves your faith. And it produces steadfastness. And enables you then to be useful for Him. Now what kind of fruit? I told you I'd tell you. Well, he, he gets real specific here. Verse 9, as the fathers love me, so I've loved you. Abide in my love if you keep my commandments. You will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. And then verse 12, this is my commandment that you love one another as I've loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You're my friends if you do what I command you. Obedience that leads to love for one another. And I just have to tell you, if you say, I, I don't love, I don't love God's people, then it means you probably aren't related to him. It means you're probably not connected to the vine. It definitely means you're not abiding in him. You must not be a Christian. Now, I hate to say that to you. In one way, I hate to say it. In the other way, I can't provide for you comfort when no comfort can be there. We've got to be faithful to what Jesus says. He says that is a fruit, that you love one another. Because he says, you know what? I've shown the ultimate love for those people, and if I'm living in, in you, if we have union with Christ, if He's living in us, then we will have love for others. And if you don't, use that as a self-evaluation and say, I need Christ. I need Him. Because I can't 
do this by myself. That's what he said. You can't if you're not connected to me. As you know, we have four children. If somebody had come to me before our first one was born, let's say he was about to be born, and if they said, look, I'm going to give you a manuscript of, you're going to have four children, and I'm going to give you a manuscript of all of your children's lives. And I'm going to give you an eraser. And it's a one-time shot. You're going to have a few minutes. And you can erase anything you want to out of their lives. You know what I, I would do? Would have done? I would have gone through and, and when I, I see one of my sons or one of my daughters hitting a difficult time, I would have erased that. Sicknesses. When, when, they, when they felt persecuted for some reason. When they went through hard times. When they were dealing with consequences of bad decisions. I would have erased those things thinking that that would give them a better life. Now that's not possible to do, obviously. But if it had been, that would have been the worst thing I could have possibly done for my children. Because more often than not, it was in those very things that I have just mentioned when God was pruning them that he used to make them who he wanted them to be. And from a human father's perspective, we can't always see that, and we certainly can't see it uh, most of the time when it's happening to us. That's when we've got to trust that he says he loves us. He has shown that He loves us because He is that one that did the ultimate love by laying down His life for His friends. He has said, I have called you my friends. If you're in Christ, if you're connected to the vine, you will be pruned. It's going to hurt. But it will make it possible for you to know more of God, to know more of Christ. May God give us grace to endure the pruning and give us a vision of the bigger picture that we endure pruning because he loves us with his tender care and he is making us into who he wants us to be. Let's pray together. Lord, there are many, no doubt, in this room that are right in the middle of a difficult time of pruning. And it's hard and it is a trial. But we thank you that you have told us that when we are connected to you, abiding in you, there is reason for this. And it's the right reason. It's the best reason so that we will know you better. We thank you for that. Give us encouragement from this and strength 
to go through this. We pray in Jesus' name.